Quick Med Claims presents the Board and Collar 10Q30. We pose 10 questions to emergency medical service leaders from across the United States on key matters affecting EMS nationwide. You'll find their unique responses interesting and thought-provoking, all in 30 minutes. Your host, QMC's Director of Client Services, Gary Harvath. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Gary Harvat. I'm from the QMC Client Success Team, and I am joined today by my esteemed colleague up in Danville, Pennsylvania, Chuck Humphrey. Good afternoon, Chuck. Hello, Mr. Harvat. It's good to be with you today, and uh, we're excited for our program today. This is a great program. We've been anxious to, to do this one with these good folks from uh, McGregor EMS, and they are here today. We've got not one, we've got two, we've got three, Chuck. We never get three. I know. This is exciting. Yep. They, they so came this, at us in this bunches. This is a great day today. So uh, joining us is Chris Lemelin. Chris is, Chris is your title, the director? Sure, that's close enough. Close enough, you'll take it. Okay, and Maria McMillan. Maria, what might be your title? Um, I'm a crew chief and our public relations officer. Oh, great. And Harry Muir. Harry, welcome. Thank you, thank you. I'm a paramedic and uh, the operations manager. Great. Well, it's good to have all three of you here today. We hope to have some fun, so let's relax. I'm going to pose approximately 10 questions to you over the next 30 minutes. These are um, issues and matters that affect the emergency medical service industry, not just in your area, but across the country. And it's been a great forum for us to use in uh, actually seeing how different organizations uh, respond to different matters. And it's really been a great networking tool. I know Chuck and I have both received calls from those uh, clients and friends who've listened to the podcast uh, after we've uh, published it to um, get in touch on with different organizations about how they do things. So, you know, sometimes we tend to look at things and we can't see the forest for the trees for uh, in our own backyard and think we have the answers. Then we hear somebody like yourselves or other clients and think like, wow, maybe I need to talk to that guy or those ladies or that lady about something. And it's fine. It's really been something that has astounded me as far as from a networking perspective. So let's just start out here to get the day moving. Uh, Chris, might I ask you, just tell us a little bit about your organization. And uh, so just let the folks at home know what, uh, what we're going to be talking to and what your makes your organization tick. Sure. So um, McGregor uh, is a solely a 911 ambulance service. We were actually founded in 1968 in memory of a local physician in these communities. Uh, we actually serve four New Hampshire communities, which is a little bit un unusual up in the Northeast. Um, a lot of uh, individual towns have their own ambulance service. Um, we're one of the few regional services uh, really in the area. One of the other things that makes us a little bit unique is we're actually primarily volunteer. So Maria, who's with us today, is uh, one of our wonderful volunteers. We've got about 70 volunteers at any given time that give um, usually right around 35,000 hours a year in volunteer time. So that's a huge that's part great. of our organization. And then, of course, to keep um, the recruitment pipeline open for all those volunteers, we have to train them. Uh, and so we have uh, something called the Institute of EMS that really teaches CPR statewide, but also runs EMT and advanced EMT programs for those looking to enter the profession. So, and, and, and Chris, you, you, you have a unique station location. Tell everybody about where you guys sit, because I, I just found that really cool when I, when I was there. Uh, so uh, I had the pleasure of visiting your location there a few years ago. And uh, so tell us where, where you're in the middle of. 
Yeah, so it, it's a good point, Chuck. It's it's and our our station has gotten actually a little bit more unique since COVID, but uh, we're actually located right on the University of New Hampshire campus, um, and so of course that is a huge source of recruitment for our, our volunteers, um, but also impacts a lot of the educational programs that we run. That's great. That's great. Just a question to that. So obviously during the school year, you probably have your volunteer base, I would I would ex expect would grow, correct? It does. It's a little bit easier to cover those shifts during the school year. So conversely, when uh, summer, is it much more challenging as far as uh, getting volunteers to uh, participate than it is during the school year? Yep. So it things are a little bit um a little bit more lean in the summer. Although what what I find very interesting is that we really um it's really only about forty to fifty percent of our membership is made up of current students, and then the rest of that and that and those number you know those percentages vary a little bit over time, um and the rest is really community members or people like me who started uh, volunteering when they were a UNH student and then just are bad at leaving places right they kind of fall in love with the organization, so um. We actually do all right in the summer. We consistently cover um, year-round, including um, calls where you just run out of ambulances. We cover about 99% of our calls, so that gives you a sense of the strength of that staffing model. And speaking of, kind of a great segue, thank you, Chris. Tell us about your vehicles and your staffing patterns uh, for your organization. Yeah, so I think Harry might be a good one to answer that. Great. Sure, I can, I can take that on. Uh, as, as was said before, we are primarily an emergency only agency. We do an occasional standby here and there for the university. 24-7, um, we run two ambulances. We do our best to make sure they're at the uh, advanced EMT level. Um, weekdays, we have two career staff members on. One of them is always a paramedic, if not both. And then a career paramedic on in, uh, at night. The paramedics respond in a non-transport vehicle. Um, which gives us a lot of flexibility. If they're needed, they can hop on the ambulance. If they're not, they can move on to the next call. Um, we do have a third ambulance. It's kept in reserve. It'll get pulled out if we have uh, high call volume. Last, uh, last couple of weeks, we have had a bunch of days where that third ambulance has been uh, staffed by volunteers and uh, staff members that have come in and they're off time to uh, staff it on short notice. Um, and we'll also use it for uh, special events and uh, standbys. The university campus keeps us busy, uh, well, pre-COVID, uh, with um, concerts and homecoming. We do have commencement coming up where we'll, we'll ramp up. We've gone as high as seven ambulances for some of these special events. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, nice, uh, a nice situation for us. Sure. Thank you for that, Harry. I appreciate it. Um, maybe this might be one, and I'll leave this up to Chris again, but might be one for Maria here. Um, of course, every organization um, across the country has to do more than just provide ambulance service. And one of those things that they have to do above and beyond is connecting with the community. Can you tell me ways that, uh, that you folks uh, go out and connect with your community to better educate them about um, your organization and the challenges that you face? Absolutely. We, we love being out in our community. We love, you know, recruiting people. We love being out there to educate people and everything. Um, we recently have been doing vaccine clinics, both local for the University of New Hampshire and at the state level. 
um, you know, help get everyone vaccinated. Um, and then we do a bunch of different events. We do U Day, University Day, um, which is um, for university students to learn about the organization and a bunch of other on-campus organizations. Although we're not considered an on-campus organization, we do have a lot of university students. Um, as Chris said, about 40 to 50%. Um, we'll also go to our center, our main student center on campus, and we'll advertise um, and try to recruit people that are interested in pursuing medicine to any extent, or even if they're not interested in pursuing medicine, but they're interested in, you know, spending part of their college career um, exploring what it's like to work on a 911 ambulance and also balance a full-time student loan. Um, we're, we're happy to be there for that. One of the more recent things that we did, I would say probably about a year ago, um, now at the beginning of um, the pandemic was we partnered up with um, our local fire department and the, uni the University of New Hampshire Police Department and Durham Police Department to do something called Light Up Durham. Um, we would essentially be out in the community um, and, and parade around the streets of Durham, letting people know that even in a dark time, we are still there for the people. Um, and other than that, we'll do we'll do a bunch of different events around Durham. Um, some winter some winter like fests. Um, we'll go and do like pop up CPR to educate people on CPR. Um, and we're we're really good at taking people that have really no experience working in medicine to any extent um, and training them properly to you know go on to to pursue further medicine. Have you received any feedback on the from the community on those pop-up parades? That's an interesting concept. Um, they seem to love us. You know, we we did it for multiple weeks in a row um, back back about a year ago, and by the end of like the the like seven or eight weeks that we did it, we had people you know making signs for us, coming out and clapping for us. You know, they throw candy at us and everything. They they loved it. I think it was a really, especially considering what the time was and what was going on, um, where a lot of people were trapped in their houses, there there wasn't too much else going on. I think they really enjoyed seeing that, you know, there's still people there for them, even in those times. That is really fantastic. That is great. What a great idea, I gotta say. Guys, uh, you, if you're listening out there, uh, you wanna email us, clientsuccess at quickmedclaims.com. We'll put you in touch with Chris and Marie and Harry, and that's a what an amazing concept. Really good job, guys. I got to tell you, that's awesome. First, I've, we've done a lot of these. And yeah, I've got to yeah. tell you, we've done a lot of them during the pandemic. And uh, uh, hats off to all the folks who participated. Oh. But that is a very unique concept. I'm not sure uh, who came up with that. But what a great way to keep you in front of the public that you serve, even in this dark time. So uh, kudos to you on that one. Great job. Hey, let me ask you. Um, we talked about the community. Let's talk a little bit about you, you know, your teams there. Um, have you done anything in the way of innovation to invest in your crews? Let's say your crews uh, safety of late, anything at all? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it, probably the best um, example of that was really something that started. So I, the, I always say that being on the UNH campus, we get weird things. So for example, <laughs> Uh, I won't say which community this came out of, but to my knowledge, we're the only ambulance service in New Hampshire that transported a possible Ebola patient back during the last big Ebola outbreak in Africa. And of course, that was a that was a big thing that worried everyone for a while, sure. right? Sure. Um, and so the benefit to that, right? And of course, you know the the uh, 
end result of that was that the person had malaria, not Ebola. So that was good for all of us. But the um, end result of that was that we really said, you know, we need to be better prepared for these weird things that we get because of our unique location. And so we had actually bought um, call, basically pappers or um, they're called cappers actually, they, you wear them on their head. Um, shortly after that, and that was really something that um, really got us through the first part of the pandemic. So because of that, and because we, a number of us had now lived through SARS, we'd lived through Ebola, we'd had all these kind of different infectious diseases that we've been concerned about. Um, we were actually pretty well positioned uh, compared to some of, some of the services throughout the country. Um, when this pandemic really kicked off. We certainly, I wish we'd, we'd bought more than 300 surgical masks at the beginning, right? <laughs> like probably everyone does, but um, we, it really gave us a little bit of extra breathing room, no pun intended, at the beginning of this to operate safely. Um, in terms of training is a huge area of investment. I mean, we've also, one of the local community members um, made a donation for about $30,000 and allowed us to purchase a high fidelity mannequin. And we're actually working with the university to build a simulation center that will augment some of their programs, but also um, hopefully augment our own training programs, uh, both for our new EMTs, but our current providers to help make those things more robust. So really, really leveraging that community partnership with the university. And Chris, regard. do I recall that students do get some credit for spending time with you? in some programs, am I, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, so there, there's actually a program called uh, Pre-Hospital Preceptorial that um, a woman, she has her PhD in public health, but, and she's a, on the UNH faculty, but she's also an EMT with us and she teaches it. And essentially folks like Maria um, can take that class. I believe it's uh, two or three credits and they can take it for two semesters. So for a total of four credits, and essentially they show up, they talk about ambulance calls. And then what I think is really neat because a lot of these folks are going on to careers in, as physicians or nursing or paramedics, right? Is they talk about what's the pathophysiology behind that ambulance call that they saw. Um, so it's really kind of helping them apply some of that, um, that stuff they learn in the classroom with the, uh, uh, to their ambulance world. And um, right. Yeah, that can be a capstone class for some of the programs up there. Tell me, yeah, yeah, yeah that's very awesome. much so. Great stuff. It also sucks in some of the non-volunteers and some of the non-student volunteers. You, you sit in the room and it's sometimes interesting enough that you can't walk out. Yeah, what a what a great training opportunity for the rest of us. To yeah, sure. yeah, absolutely. Um, folks, you know, as the, we worked our way through this pandemic, I guess we're still in this pandemic. I hope there's some some uh, bright spot at the end of the tunnel coming soon. But of course, my point is the world keeps spinning. And how have you been able to address things such as uh, the opioid epidemic, which is still out there? And of course, with that comes not only with the opioids, but with the pandemic of, of COVID comes job stress and, and that type of thing. And, and have you done anything in the way of succession planning which in your organization, which is a, a huge issue in EMS across the nation. So I just wanted to check in with you on, on those things. Yeah, so I, I think um, in terms of, uh, I think your question is very timely in terms of the opioid epidemic, because although we have not traditionally seen a lot of opioid use in our communities, I, I really believe that 
you know, we've talked about these various COVID waves, but that's really, COVID is just the first wave, right? We're going to have a mental health wave. We're going to have a substance misuse wave, right? And so trying to prepare for those things is, is very important. You know, I will tell you that the focus over the last year has really been on our own people, right? So talking to our own people about how can they help to keep themselves well and safe and really trying to emphasize self-care. One of the nice things about having such a volunteer basis that we're, we're sometimes able to encourage people, look, we need you to take some time off. We want you to take some time for yourself um, and really trying to um, push those resources, you know, the employee assistance program that's available to our volunteers and our staff. Um, things like that to be available. In terms of opioids, I mean, one of the great things that's come out of this pandemic is some partnerships with local public health agencies, right? So we've gotten to work and, and we had relationships with them in advance, but certainly those relationships have grown a lot closer and a lot stronger as we've worked side by side at vaccine clinics, for example. And so I think the strategy going forward is gonna to be to really leverage those relationships to, um, to help be prepared. Great. It's, a, it's a tough question and it's a, a tough one for everybody to answer because um, it just makes the world of EMS so much more challenging when you add these things into today's current environment. So again, our hats are off to you for, for staying ahead of it, which is not easy to do, I know. So I think the other thing that you'll find about McGregor is that unlike some places, we are very open about talking um, about the mental health aspect of things. And we are very good about making sure that people know what resources are available and that there is no stigma to take advantage of these resources. Um, because we know that this is a stressful job and, and you know we see things that nobody should see. And when you're a college student, that's not what you're used to and honestly, even if you're a veteran EMT or paramedic, it's not something that you want to be used to. So we're, we're very clear to people that this is not something to be ashamed of and that, that you need to be you need to be on the ball watching for you, watching out for yourself and watching out for the other the other members. Sure. Yeah. Aside from these things that you mentioned, uh, Chris, Harry, and Maria, what what are some of your other operational challenges that maybe keep you laying awake at night? You know, I think the number one thing for us at the moment, and it is a little bit specific to us. I referenced at the beginning that our station situation has changed. Our, um, our station, when, when Chuck visited us, he saw this was um, teeny tiny. Um, and so because we exist on a college campus, it's easy for me to reference um, a UNH double. So a, a room that's normally meant to house two college students as a dorm room. Uh, we were fitting eight people in there, staff and volunteers overnight um, as a bunk space. Um, and really, we had done air quality studies actually just before COVID completely coincidentally. And we found out that the air quality in that room was atrocious, right? And so we were working to address that. I can imagine. I can only. And, um, you know, this was before, you know, we were still thinking just droplets, not aerosols at this point, but we said, you know, this just can't be a good idea. Right. <laughs> so um, we really, again, you know, it's sometimes all about those, those partnerships um, and, and very grateful to the university. Uh, the state fire marshal worked with us and we we're able to actually move across campus really on an emergency basis. And so now our punk room is actually 
a classroom that wasn't being used by the university and were existing in this whole other campus building uh, while, they, while they renovate and, oh, by the way, put in an air exchanger in our old building. <laughs> but the, uh, you know, the challenge going forward is going to be we need more space and there's no two ways about it. So that's probably our, our number one challenge and, and fundraising around that. Well, that's, it's nice to hear you have such a cooperative partner as well as community because uh, we talk to many clients and friends daily who do not enjoy that luxury. And um, you're, you're fortunate in that regard. So I hope that trend continues for many years to come. Um, are you folks involved in any professional organizations? Uh, how do you network maybe with other uh, um, EMS agencies uh, near or around you? Um, yeah, we do. Uh, we do a fair amount of networking. Um, you know, we have uh, regular meetings at two of our local hospitals for uh, EMS chief officers where we get together and talk about common problems. We get updates from the hospital as to what they're doing. Um, and that can be very helpful, uh, at least at a, at a higher level. It's very good to have those connections from one department to another. Uh, you know, I know who to contact at in whatever community I, I need to, to get information from or, or to resolve an issue with because I see them on a regular basis. Um, we also have two of our members uh, that are representatives on the Regional EMS Council, which puts us in a, a very broad organization that covers the, the pretty much the entire southeast corner of the state of New Hampshire. So we're seeing a lot of representatives from career fire departments, volunteer fire departments, EMS agencies, hospitals, hospital-based EMS agencies. So we're getting a lot of, a lot of uh, networking done there. Um, we have uh, an organizational membership in the National EMS Management Association, which has been uh, very valuable. Um, we're not a very big service, but it's nice to be able to tap the brain trust from some of these uh, larger services. Uh, because they've probably seen a lot of the problems that we're, we're encountering, and it's nice to get their input. Um, we're a member of the American Ambulance Association, which gets us a lot of resources. Uh, Pre-COVID, there were regional meetings for uh, fire and EMS leaders that, uh, that Chris would attend. Um, you know, and, and really, for, for the people that we deal with on a regular basis, it's just, it's FaceTime. It's getting out, meeting with, with those people, having somebody from the dragger there to wave the flag every once in a while to address issues before they fester into a bigger problem. Um, and that goes a very long way to developing the stronger relationships that you need to have. Good, well stated, well stated. So we talked a little bit earlier about patient and uh, team safety. Um, can you tell me some uh, clinical improvements your organization has made maybe in the last two to three years to better care for your patient population? Yeah, so I mean, briefly on, I think I mentioned the, the mannequin simulation with training, but I'll just say, I mean, one of the things that we've really worked on the last year, we had a CQI process for some time prior to the pandemic. But um, one of the initiatives, you know, a lot of go our goals for this year got a little sidetracked or for last year got a little sidetracked by COVID, right? But one thing we really try to keep on the radar was improving our CQI um, process. And um, 
I think we're reasonably successful at that. We have uh, now a full committee and that allows them to review a lot more runs. Um, and then the other piece of it is really a mentoring process so that after the call, um, our newest volunteers, right? These are after they've been cleared through our initial training program, they're still getting all their runs reviewed 100%. And uh, we found that's had um, some great, um, some just made people more confident and we think improve patient care. I know Harry might have some equipment type things that he can speak to. Yeah, in a very, in a very uh, hands-on sense, uh, we've also done a lot. Um, you know, uh, we've upgraded our CPAP units in the last few years, going from a disposable CPAP to a reusable CPAP unit, which proved to be much more effective uh, in, in patient care. Uh, we've had much better results with it. Um, we recently put the Hantevi system on online, which uh, is really helping with pediatric patients, whether they're critical or not. It's nice to have that reference that you can look at that's going to give you really the fundamentals of what you're going to need to treat that patient. Um, we started doing uh, ALS provider competency before we promote somebody to an advanced EMT and let them practice on their own. Um, they go through uh, a, a set of scenarios with the chair of our, our QAQI committee, um, which is very good because it really drives home whether they understand what's going on or not, whether they're up to date on the, on the protocols, whether they're fully up to speed. And it gives them a sense of what the kind of stresses that they'll be under in that ALS position. Um, and we're doing the same thing with, with our, our new hire paramedics who come on. We're putting them through the same thing, both to uh, gauge what their medical skill level is before they come off their, their uh, probationary period, but also to gauge what their interpersonal uh, skills are because dealing with volunteers is a lot different than dealing with career staff. Um, and you really have to have good people skills well, not just volunteers, dealing with any of your, your other responding agencies. You, you need to be able to, uh, I had a preceptor once when I was in paramedic school back in 85 who said, you know, one of the things that's, that's very clear and very important is being able to get people what you want them to do and think it was your idea or their idea. Mm -hmm. And that's very true. And that's what we want to see, that people can do that. So we've done a lot of that. Um, the mannequin has been very helpful. Uh, We've done uh, some changes in the design of our ambulances to uh, increase the amount of time that people can spend sitting rather than up and around. Uh, Trash-rated uh, stretcher retention, uh, which, has been, uh, which has been a huge thing, um, as well as uh, you know, just looking at what, what people need and what people want and, and what's the best way to get it, get it to them. Um, you know, we really try and, and meet everybody's needs and fully understand what their needs are. Um, and in, in my experience, that's not always the case. Yep. That's good. Well, is there anything else you folks would like to add about your organization? This is your chance to showcase. We surely want to give you that platform. You know, one thing I'll just say is that when I'm having a bad day, and, you know, I, I think maybe like some people, I've, I've had some bad days over the last year. Um, what really rejuvenates me is to go out and spend some time with our, with our volunteers and our staff at McGregor. And I think, 
you know, once you have that positive culture and that group of people who want to be there, it can just be absolutely a game changer. And I think that that's probably the number one thing that we keep going. Um, you know, we also invest a fair amount in our volunteers. And I, I think that pays back to us because um, I'll tell you, yesterday we had uh, in one day, we had a woods rescue. We were covering a town uh, or the city, uh, one town to the north of us because they had a structure fire. We were running calls in that town with one of our ambulances. We had people coming. We were, we were down a staff member. We didn't have our normal staffing on. We had volunteers. Harry came in off duty. Another one of our staff came in off duty to help us. We had three trucks on the road um, carrying someone out of the woods with six extra people there helping the fire department carry, right? <laughs> And, you know, but people give back and they, I really think they've looked at this last year as a time to shine. And I think if you can find a way to generate that um, within your organization, I think it can be really, really powerful. Well, you surely exemplify that. And it just amazes me that amidst this terrible time we're living in with this pandemic outside our doors, that volunteers still want to go out and do good. Um, Personally, I don't know how they do it. I'm not out in the field anymore. I spent 30 years there and uh, my back can't do it anymore. But I will tell you, it just amazes me that whether you're a career uh, paramedic or a volunteer, it's part of their fiber to get out and help people. And that just, it really chokes me up. I have to tell you, I, I struggle sometimes when I start talking about this because it's just amazing to me that these are the stories that should be making the evening news every night and and they don't but when you hear them it especially a guy like me who's you know I've grown up in EMS it's been all I've known all my life and when I hear things like this it really gives me hope that not only for the industry but for also uh, for bigger picture for America in general there's still good caring people out there so uh, I can't thank the three of you enough. Thank you for taking time from your busy day to spend a few moments with uh, Chuck and myself. Um, Chris, uh, I know Chuck gave out an email earlier, but if people would like to uh, contact you, can they do so? And if so, how? Absolutely. They can uh, send us an email and that is info at mcgregorems.org. And the only trick to spelling McGregor is there's no A in McGregor. So it's MCG. And Very then good. the rest of it phonetically. Well, great. Well, thank you for that. Chuck, is there any closing comments you might have? No, I, I, you know, I appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, I'm blown away by the number of volunteer hours, the, the commitment that you guys have. That That is amazing amongst our clientele and not just our clientele, but across uh, the U.S. Like Gary, you know, I've spent my life uh, uh, doing this and, and um, I, I'm, it, it really encourages me that the organizations like yours that are able to keep it together. It's a testament to what you all do. And uh, I, I just hats off. So thanks for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. All right. Well, with that, I'll say thanks again. Uh, appreciate you folks joining us. Hope to get up to see you soon uh, when we start traveling here, which we really haven't done yet, but hope to get up to see you soon. And again, uh, folks listening at home or in your car, if you do have questions, uh, feel free to contact Chris or his team or ourselves. We'll get you in the right direction. So thanks to everyone for joining us today. Have a great day. And hey, Chuck, be safe, safe out, out there. there.